you need to know something about me, and this is true every week or every time uh, you hear me uh, preach, is that uh, I am an inadequate preacher, an inadequate preacher. Uh, that's true every week, uh, but especially this week as I come before um, his word. As I was studying, I, I realized that my pea-sized brain had a tough time gathering in the riches of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And it's one thing, this is what happens when we study the Word, is that I I have a tough time understanding God's Word and to grasp its greatness. And then um, I'm called to communicate that, that which I'm having a tough time understanding. I'm called to communicate that. And then it falls on your listening ears. And so there's a lot that needs to go on here this morning. And I feel inadequate uh, for the task before us. But nonetheless, we're going to do it. Uh, We're not going to lay down and die and uh, uh, bemoan difficult things. But we're going to both work together this morning and... uh, try to mine the riches of God's blessing for us this morning in Titus chapter 3. If you'd turn there and stand in honor of God's word, I'd love to read to you uh, the first 11 uh, 11 verses. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be a obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. God, we pray again, asking that you would bless our time before your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher now, that you would guard my uh, mouth from error and our hearts from being cold and unwilling to learn and to change. God bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Last couple of weeks as we've gathered together, we've been going through chapter 3. And it, the first two verses of chapter 3 were reminders of what we are to be. Submissive people, obedient people, gentle and kind. Those who are humble, letting others be more important than ourselves. And if you're honest, that's not you. Uh, that you're pushy, grouchy, harsh. Not speaking of anyone in particular, but everyone in general, okay? Some of you are thinking that was unkind for me even to say that in the morning service on a Sunday. These two verses, these first two verses, describe what we are to be, and yet we know ourselves not to be bent towards that in and of ourselves. The third verse, if you look down on it, it it talks about what we were once, or what we used to be, or what should be part of our past and not part of our present. This morning, maybe you come and you say, you know, I, I kind of have a grasp of what God wants me to be. And I have a grasp of what I shouldn't be. But I, I don't know how to change. I don't know how to go from being that old guy to the new guy. I, I don't know how to leave the past behind. Maybe you think about who you've been and who you are and you say... This is who I've always been. I've always struggled with selfishness. I've always struggled with greed. I've always struggled with pride. So how do I change? I'm excited this morning to share this message with you because I do believe it's a verse that's foundational to change. I think about uh, a diet and someone's diet and they say, this is a staple this is something I eat every day. This is something I can't live without. Well, this morning as we look at this uh, few verses here, I think this is what we're talking about. It's a staple that we would be God's people and that we would be changed daily. This is the kind of thing that we need to think about all the time. And as we go through it, I hope that you will see the value that it needs to have as you think through everything that you're doing. If you look at verse 3, uh, it can be labeled the sad state of us apart from Jesus. I, uh, when I read a passage like this, I think about our, the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And if you look at the first part, the first chapters of the book of Exodus... There's an interesting thing going on there. You have God's people being in captivity down in Egypt. And it, it just seems like a desperate and hopeless place. They're being persecuted and enslaved. And there's no hope of things getting better in the future. And it says that God remembered, he remembered his people Many years ago, I, I shared a message um, about this section of Scripture that, that was titled, um, When the Lord Remembers, No One Forgets. And, and that's the picture in there. You, you, you know about the story that they're in captivity and things were awful. There was a sad state of God's people. There was no hope for the future. And what did God do? Do you remember? 
there was born a man, uh, a man or a boy that would, baby that would grow up to be a man. And you remember uh, one of the best stories, one of the best Sunday school stories ever, ever, especially for girls, because there's a baby, there's a basket, baskets and babies. How can you go wrong? You know, right? You got a basket, you have a baby, you have uh, a little bit of crying and a, a young girl going, oh, a sweet little baby. And they get her in the basket and this little baby boy and he, he was meant to be killed, but he was saved and, and now he would grow up and he would, and he would one day be the one that God would use to work mighty things and to take care of his people. But we come to this passage in Titus chapter 3. And you have a similar scenario. But, but this, isn't, uh, this isn't history, okay? You look at this, and if you look at verse 4, it says this. Verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, God our Savior, appeared. The picture here is this, that... That there's, things are in a desperate, awful state. If you look back to verse 3, you say, that's who I was. That's the kind of life, that's what was in me. And, and some of you are fighting that. As I go over passages that talk about your own sinfulness, being in a, a beautiful place where we don't have many struggles and we're responsible people, most of us fight that. You say, you know, when you say I'm sinful... Pastor Kevin, when you say that, that, that those passages are talking about me, I go, no, I, I haven't done bad things. I, I, I'm not like them. You know, uh, some of you are connected with, uh, you know, our one local uh, economic thriving business in Tehachapi, the prison. Thriving, the business is booming. I mean, there's no end in sight of more people that need to be incarcerated, right? It's it's constantly coming, and you say, "I'm not like them." You know, you you talk about these sins, and there's many of them I haven't committed. You know why you haven't committed them? Because you haven't lived that long yet. You say, no, no, I've lived a long time. Well, then you've been lazy. Because the same heart of sinfulness is in each, each one of us. It's not that we are all drawn to every sin in the same fashion, but we have sin in our hearts. Every one of us. And as we look at this, in the midst of our sad and desperate situation, it says that God appeared. God appeared. In verse 4 it says he appeared. Uh, he appeared with what? It, it says a few words. With his goodness and his love and kindness, God appeared. That's what he brought. You get the picture here that I, when I read this I go, Ooh, is this a Christmas message? Jesus appeared, right? He came. He came. It is kind of a Christmas message, huh? Because uh, well, Christmas we celebrate the birth of the baby. 
And, and we talk about how he, he came and he appeared. And there was a sense of immediate history where shepherds were doing their shepherding things. Kings were doing their things. The wise men came from afar. People were going about doing it. And in the midst of that, Jesus appeared. And he changed everything locally there. And, and you say, well, it wasn't just local. This is more of a history thing. That, that Jesus, when he came in to history, it wasn't that he was absent, but he wasn't down here on earth in a bodily form. He came and appeared and messed up history totally. He did, didn't he? We can see that in the history book. We can see what happened different from the time of Christ onward. Our church is a representation of that. But I want to tell you, it's much more specific than just a Christmas story and a history story. It's like a family photo album. It's my history. It's the picture here. It's not talking about the world and all kinds of things that God has done for generic people. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. That we were once sinful people filled with hate and hating others and hated by others, just being a mess in and of ourselves. In our sad state, it shows that God came to change our history. He came in His Son, Jesus, to change who we are. I think about it as an interruption. Now, are, are any of you ever interrupted? Are interruptions good or bad? Most of us think they're bad, right? Because we have our plan, right? This is what we're going to do. I've got it all laid out. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then and then uh, I'm going to succeed in this grand way. And everyone's going to be amazed at my uh, scheduling capabilities. What happens if you're interrupted? Ooh, some of you break out in a rash, don't you? You're like, I can't stand interruptions. Well, picture this, picture this. We were in a sad state. We had plans and dreams and goals of remaining in our sad state forever. We even had, uh, it was driven by the selfishness and pride and uh, all these things. And we were lost in that and there was no hope. And then you get the picture in verse 4 that God in his love and his kindness to us, he appeared interrupting everything. Interrupting everything. But this is like the greatest interruption ever, isn't it? That he is now, as he, as he sees us in our, our state of need, he comes and interrupts us. I picture um, this as a, a mother and a father watching their children struggle. And, and you know this as a, a parent, Right? What do you want them to do when they struggle? You, you watch them struggle. You realize they can't do it. And, and you're, you're waiting. You're, you're standing back. You're waiting. And you're saying, when are they going to ask for help? And you stand there and you watch and you wait. And as they struggle more and as their struggle becomes more desperate and dangerous, you're like, and there comes a point in time when what happens as a parent, you can't stand it anymore. And so you enter and you bring them away. You, you, you save them from the dangers that they're about to get into. 
You see, as we look at at this passage, I want you to see and to feel, I want you to feel the desperation that every one of us has apart from Jesus and that we are separate from him. And it is not that we said, yeah, I kind of had enough. I'm going to go on to the next life and I'm going to, I'm going to choose God and get out of that stuff. It's not that we left our sinful life. It's that he appeared in our world. He invaded and interrupted what we were doing. God appeared with his goodness and his loving kindness to us. In verse 5, it says three words that are important for us to, to see. It says, He saved us. He saved us. You get the picture that this desperate situation got to the place where we were clinging on the cliff, fingernails beginning to slip. We were hanging on to the rope that was beginning to fray. We were... Out in the sea, we were drowning and we were bobbing and take, taking in water. And, and it was those last and final breaths. And he saved us. He saved us. He brought us out of there. The next words describe how this salvation, how this interruption happened. And, and these words are super important. For us to get clear in our minds. Super important. It says he saved us. Verse 5. Not because of works done by us. In righteousness. Not, not because of works that we have done. Um, it, it, if I were to ask you. And uh, put you on the spot. And I'd say to you. You know. Are you a Christian? Do you know that you are his? Yes, I am. Well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, uh, I I try. I, 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 I try to do my very best. I try to do my very best. I try not to, to sin very much. And I try to be um, a good person. And I, I try to not do the things that I kind of do, but I think about doing. I try, I try, I try. I, I want to tell you... Uh, this, this is so important for us to get clear. He says, He saved us. He saved us. Not because of righteous works that we have done. Not because of what we have done. Not because of what we have tried to do. He has saved us not on the basis of what we have done. The danger here is this. That we say, oh, we trust in Jesus and I'm going to try to do my best and that's why he'll save me. No, it's not true. He does not save us based upon what we have done. What we have tried to do. Most of us uh, have this attitude that's kind of like in T-ball. Have you ever thought about T-ball? If you love sports, you'll hate t-ball. Some of you think some sports are confusing. Well, you've, if you think other sports are confusing, try t-ball, okay? It's the ultimate confusion. There's people running. There's balls being thrown. The outfielders are piling on the infielders to get the ball by the pitcher. And, and, 
and people are running. There's more than one person on one base. They're, they're running. Uh, the ball beats the person to first base, and yet they're still on first base after the play's over with. And uh, you can only take one base no matter how far you can uh, hit it. And at the end of the game, each player says, I won! I won! And you say, what was the score? I don't know, but we won! And I get a snack afterwards. It's confusing. There's no sense of... And, and it's all about just trying. Just trying. And it doesn't matter how bad you were. It doesn't matter how many rules you broke. It doesn't matter if you can catch or not catch. It doesn't matter anything. There's no sense of rhyme or reason to it. You just in the end win. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, There's a clarity to the gospel that I want you to see this morning. It is not on the basis of what you do. It's not what you have done. It's not on you being a good person. He didn't save us based upon that. But if you follow the passage, it says this. He saved us not because of works done by by us in righteousness. It is not us but according to His own mercy. You see, if you put those together, He saved us, not by us, not by us, but by Him. And specifically, it says one thing, His mercy, His mercy. And and mercy, we struggle with, what what is it to be merciful? It's the idea of not giving us what we deserve. It's staying His own hand. It's the idea that we deserve punishment, eternal punishment, because of what we have done. But because He chooses to love us, and because He is merciful, He pulls back and says, I will not give them what they deserve. I will express my goodness and my love upon them. His own mercy is what saves us. His kindness is the one that that drives our salvation. And what happens in that? It says this, as you you look through the, the passage, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You get the picture here by these words that that God in His love and His kindness to us gives us a washing and a cleansing we cannot do on our own. Do you know about stained clothes? Do you know about stained clothes? Some of you moms know very well about stained clothes. There's a sense where you buy the clothes and they're nice, right? And then your kids get to them, or your husband for that matter, present company excluded, um, and and then they spill things on them, and they work, and they they're they're not careful, and they're stained. And so moms do the they have all their tricks, right? Uh, tomato juice and this spray and that spray, and some of you use like stones or something like that, and you're grinding on these clothes, and you have ways of getting the stains out. But but you know what? You know what? And you know this. There's a point in time where you give up, right? I've washed this thing five or six times. I've used every chemical known to man on this to get this out. And I can't get it out. 
and they get to the place of saying, I'm just going to throw it away. Throw it away. Well, forgive me for using this analogy is that's the place that we were at. The throwaway. There's nothing, there's nothing that will work. There's nothing that will help our situation. Because our sins had, had stained us in such a way, we could not be cleaned by anyone. It's at this point, at the, this desperate situation, sad state for us, that God appeared, that he, he appeared to save us. And how did he do it? He did a washing that only he could do. It says that the Holy Spirit involved was in a process of miraculous washing in us that could not be done another way. And him bringing to the point of regeneration and renewal. That word renewal, the, the picture of making new. We like new things, don't you? You like, to have, you like new cars because they have the new car smell, right? But I don't know about your car. Uh, I know about my car. My car does not have the new car smell. It has the touches of the Boslers all over it. it. It shows the evidence that we have been there. I should even say the damage that we have been there. And, and that's our lives. They, they show the years of sinful choices. They, they show the pain of us getting what we deserve. That we make decisions and now we have scars and marks and, and it, it's just awful. And he says, how do you make this new? There's only one way. But God appearing and bringing his son the Holy, and the Holy Spirit to work in such a way to bring us to the place of regeneration and renewal. You see, this is his mercy in us. This is Him as a Father looking down upon us, doing it by our own selves and messing everything up and, and, and charting a path of sinfulness and destruction and Him saying, I will enter that. I will save them. I will clean them up. I will make them new again. And He does this because of His own goodness and kindness to us. This is how He saves us. And as you look uh, through the scriptures, and it, as it continues in verse 6, he says, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That, it, that how did he do all this? Through Jesus Christ. Through what he did on the cross. How, do, how does someone get a new life? How can someone be saved? Through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And, and the picture here is this. This lets us in that salvation is the true rags to riches story. You see someone in an awful place, in a place of, of poverty, of spiritual poverty, where they're, they're a danger to themselves and others, and they're making choices that just continue to get them in a worse spot. And then you have Jesus saving them and, and making them rich, making them rich because of his work in their lives. Well, if you see in verse 7, 
that there's an outcome to all of this. There's a connection. If you look down at uh, up at verse five, it says he saved us, and then you see how he saved us, and then in verse seven, uh, you can connect it to he saved us so that so that why did he save us? So that being justified, being made right by what Jesus has done, even though we were wrong, saved, justified by his grace. The connection of grace and mercy is, is very close. It's the idea that, that he has not just held his hand, but that he has showered his blessing apart from us deserving it. And so what? Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs. Heirs is a good word, isn't it? If you're an heir, you like that, don't you? There's another word you think about. Inheritance, right? To get an inheritance is a good thing, isn't it? I had a friend um, who uh, we were talking, and he says, you know, I have this aunt. She's really not my aunt, but she's kind of an adopted aunt to our family. And my brother and I are really her only family. And she passed away, and we are her only heirs. And I'm like, sweet. I was excited for him. And he goes, it's not that big of a deal. And I said, why? And he goes, she just had a bunch of junky old furniture a bunch of debts, and just a little bit of money. I inherited a mess. It matters who you're an heir to, right? It matters where that inheritance is coming from, right? I want to tell you, the God of the universe, this is the family that you're adopted into. The one who made everything, who owns everything, who controls everything. He has brought you into his family. He has saved you into his family. So that now the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, the, the, that he has now justified, made us right that we would be in this family relationship, that now we are not just in a family as the, the, um, the one who's ostracized and left to, to be the slave, but not just a slave, but an heir, an heir. The riches of eternity, the hope of eternal life. This is the rags to riches story, isn't it? That we are in a desperate state and because of what God has done to us, he has saved us and brought us into his family. I have four things I want to share with you just as um, hopefully to tie this up in your mind. I've already shared with you it's a rags to riches story. But it's also this passage is a before and after picture. You've seen those uh, weight loss commercials that they show someone, and it's really kind of damaging to watch and see these pictures, right? You have these guys with their shirt off and their gut just hanging out, and they're saying, this is what I was before. This is what I was before. And look, after just 12 weeks, and it shows this guy that's just totally ripped and you know ready to go. This is a before and after picture, Right? This was the sorry state that we were in in verses 1 and 2. And this is, or uh, I'm sorry, this is what we are to be after the gospel has touched us in verse 1 and 2. In verse 3, that's what it was before we knew Jesus. 
And verses 4 through 7 shows how we get there. How we get there. How does this change occur? It occurs through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to tell you, poverty makes people do crazy things and desperate things and desperate things. But so do riches, right? When someone is hungry, uh, they're prone to do what? Steal. You know, there's a sense of that poverty makes someone desire to work and that they, they just go, I'll work hard. But if it gets to a spot, you know what? There's a tendency to go, man, I'm hungry. And you see something and you're tempted to grab and to steal, right? And there's a sense in which when uh, you're struggling to provide for your family, you're more susceptible to the get-rich-quick schemes and the quick money and the, the, uh, to, to lying in business and doing whatever it takes. Why? Because you're driven. You realize you have no resources. I want to tell you that that was us. If you look at verse 3, you see what we did once before and you know why it it was it made sense right to live sinfully when you have no uh payment for our sin when you have no place when you're not an heir it makes sense it's not good but it makes sense but i want to tell you this this is so important for you to get when you've been made rich and an heir in the family of god You can be what it talks about, right? In verses 1 and 2. You say, well, uh, how can I be courteous and let others go first? Hey, when you're not fighting, when when you know you're taking care of, it's fine. How can I be submissive or obedient? It just seems like I'd be giving up my rights. I need to protect myself. No, you don't. You have all the riches of heaven. You don't have to worry about being taken advantage of. You know why? Because for a rich man to lose five bucks, it's no big deal, right? Because they're taken care of. And I want to tell you, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you're taken care of. You're free not to push and shove anymore. To feel like you have to do do what's best for yourself. You already have what's best for yourself in Jesus. Poverty makes us do crazy and desperate things, but because we have riches, because we are heirs, we now have a sense of security that we no longer have to push and shove. The third thing I want to tell you is that it is not here and now riches. It's not here and now riches. Uh, What if I told you, uh, this isn't true, this is just hypothetical, I'm not going to do this, okay? What if I told you, in August, I'm going to send you, I'm going to pay for you to go on your dream vacation? How'd you feel about that? Some of you are already enjoying it right now. You're like, oh, that makes me happy. Oh, that's so nice. I'm, I'm already on my vacation in my mind. I'm already there. 
I'm already enjoying it. And you say, well, it's going to snow tomorrow. It might snow tomorrow. And you're like, I don't care. I'm on my vacation. You know, it's free. I'm getting that. You see, it impacts you knowing that good things are coming. You see, this is the the picture of us being in relationship with God. It's not that you don't have blessings day in and day out. But we live in a sinful world around sinful people, a world that is perishing. Uh, Our own hearts are struggling and, and tempted by all kinds of evil. And we struggle down here. And so sometimes this world is difficult and hard. But being an heir of the king... There should be a sense of smile in every day going, it's okay if it snows. It's okay if it rains. It's okay if I'm even sick because there's a day coming where I'll have riches beyond compare. I'll experience the riches of heaven. So it's important for you to adjust your expectations of today, right? It may not look so good today. But I want to tell you, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a guaranteed future that can cause you to rejoice even today. Lastly, I want to give you, um, I want to give you an important piece of the puzzle. We started this morning talking about how do we change? How does all this work together? Like, I know what I'm supposed to be. I know what I said I've left behind, but I haven't really left some of this behind. And and how do we get to the place where God's calling us? And, oh, it just seems so hard. Daily, daily go back to the gospel. Daily go back to Jesus. Daily walk yourself through. He saved me. He saved me. And then, and then go back to your life and you apart from Jesus. Oh, where was I? Oh, verse 3. That's where I was. I was just a mess. I was a mess to others. I was a mess to myself. I, I struggled on so many. I was a mess. He saved me from that. He saved me. It was not righteous things that I do. This isn't about me trying harder and being better. This is about Jesus being formed in me. This is about Jesus being in control of all that I am. It means that the gospel is applied to every day. We walk ourselves through that he saved us, that it was not by my own doing that he saved us, but it was by his mercy involved in my life. And that same mercy that saved me is the same mercy and grace that will get me through this day, no matter what happens. And I have the riches of heaven, so I don't need to fight and push. I can be the person that God wants me to be because I can give it up. I can be who he has saved me to be. Go back to the gospel. Go back to it daily, maybe hourly, maybe minute by minute, depending on your struggles. Just go back to the fact that Jesus did it all for you. I hope this helps. Um, I'd like to close this in a word of prayer. God, um, I know that there are many people here and you bring people that are, are struggling every week 
And in reality, all of us struggle every week. And so we come. Um, God, we're encouraged by your love for us. We're overwhelmed and it's hard for us to grasp how much you have loved us. We realize um, in a small way our need for you. And God, I pray especially for those here today who have been struggling to try and to try and to try but have never been saved by you. I pray that this would be their day. I pray that they would cry out to you and give up their own works and trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that it would be empowering for our week. I pray that we would leave our own self-efforts behind. And I pray that we would... uh, Think about how much you love us and how that you saved us apart from our works daily. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.